Hey, beer nerds, and welcome to the podcast. Today is Tuesday, May 17th, 2016. Uh, recording from Louisville, Kentucky, we are uh, moving on to episode 14 of the Building Breweries podcast already. Uh, it's very cool. I've had the I've had the opportunity and the pleasure to interview um, thirteen different uh, breweries and, and thirteen different representatives. Uh, and uh, well, as always, there there are many more to go. Uh, as always, I want to thank everybody for subscribing and listening and rating this thing on iTunes. And if you do have iTunes, I would appreciate any kind of any kind of ratings um, or or subscriptions you could uh, throw my way. I really do appreciate it. Um, speaking with. Uh, Phil Derner this week. He is the owner of Goodwood Brewing Company. Um, this is kind of kicking off the, the Louisville week, or, or rather really just the Louisville series. Um, this might last a couple weeks and, and have a lot of a lot of cool breweries lined up and, and maybe a, another a couple cool guests at the end of the month. I'm really excited about that. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to shoot them my way on Twitter, MolarMD. And um, if you happen to know a brewery, that has an interesting origin story. Uh, I'd love to hear it. And, and if you are a brewery and you think you have an interesting story, um, I'd be more than willing to talk to you. Just just hit me up on, on Twitter, um, MolarMD. Okay, and kicking off this Louisville series, as I'm calling it, I'm joined by Phil Derner. He is the uh, president of Goodwood Brewing Company, located in well, right, of, right here in Louisville, Kentucky, of course. Uh, Phil, what are you up to? I'm currently driving to Grand Rapids, Michigan for meetings with our friends Myers Corporation. Okay, right on. Um, well, hey, thanks, thanks for joining me today. It's, I really appreciate it, especially from the from the road. Uh, this is a, this is a question I, I, I ask almost every guest on here, but I think it's a pretty important question. How how did you get involved with the industry and, and Goodwood in general? Um, I uh, I was actually hanging out at a bar, just graduated from college, and a buddy of mine was working for a local distributor, and um, he was getting a promotion and a sales job was coming open. It was a really good route at that time. Um, so um, I started at the distributorship level and had a lot of success there. And as the um, guys who bought the production brewery from BBC to uh, take that over and split the Bluegrass Brewing Company kind of in two different uh, groups, one the production group and the other group at Hagen to continue to run the brew pub. Um, you had a whole bunch of guys, lawyers and entrepreneurs and whatnot, but nobody that knew anything about selling beer. Uh, so they came and uh, talked to me and wanted to know if I wanted to come on board and sell beer with them, uh, which I jumped at the opportunity because at that point I was talking to Sam Adams and a few other national guys where I would have to move. Uh, so staying in Louisville was very appealing to me. So I uh, came on board as a uh, near the headlight self guy. Had no idea what the <laughs> hell I was doing. And uh, 12 years later, worked my way up to be president of Goodwood, which uh, last year, June 1st, we left the Bluegrass Brewing Company family and uh, launched Goodwood um, as our own company and our own um, idea. Yeah, I, I know a lot of non-industry people are, are often confused about that relationship with Bluegrass Brewing Company and, and, and how they they were related to Goodwood. 
was it just a was it a simple means of, of rebranding uh, when that happened, or was there a lot more involved than just that? Uh, well, no, it's kind of you know as as we signed or had that contract with uh, Bluegrass Brewing Company, otherwise I'll call BBC. With BBC, um, we also had we were our own company, so we we had our own LLC uh, and everything like that. So under that under our company, we started exploring with aging beers and wood. Our first beer was Brown South. And that beer became our flagship beer. Um, and we really, that's where our love for, uh, for aging things in barrels and working with wood came about. So through the years, we really started experimenting with wood aging and doing a lot more. So actually the concept of good wood started 12 years ago. And for lack of better words, we finally, um, put on our big boy pants and decided to go out on our own and, um, and, and develop this concept. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's part of your slogan, is, is the whole, is touched by wood and, and brewed with limestone water, so so the the bourbon barrels uh, and the aging in wood is, is clearly very important. It's also, it's a big characteristic of Kentucky, I guess, when you think of a Kentucky beer, um, as, it, as it should be, maybe. Uh, and is the limestone water part of that? Is that just because of the like the limestone caves that that are in Kentucky? Well, I mean, you look. There's a reason why all of the distilleries, or we have so many distilleries within our uh, state, is because the water is limestone filtered, and that water is very good for not only distilling but also brewing beer. Okay. Right. So uh, you're you're in this you're in this Main Street building uh, in in Louisville. Um, before that, it was it was the BBC, and even before that, even earlier was uh, was a company called Pipkin uh, Brewing Company. I guess they, they were founded I guess in the in the 90s at some point with with Paul Hummer there. Um, but I know it's a very old built building, probably built in the late 1800s or so. Do, do you know of any more history there besides just the the few brewing companies that have been there? Uh, yeah, I mean, right before it was Pipkin, it was a old moving warehouse. Um, so it was basically a storage facility for a moving company. Uh, that's where the Last Supper, that's, that's how we came about the Last Supper. It was left there. Um, and before that, I have no idea what it was. Okay, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm very interested in finding out. I know that part, that district... Or at least that part of the district there in downtown Louisville. It's it's part of the National Register of Historic Places. Um, it's it's a very cool building. At least when you go inside, when you when you um, or I guess when when BBC was there at that location, how was the neighborhood? How was the area? Uh, oh, twelve years ago, it was um, it's a lot different than it is now. Okay, uh, for sure. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of vagrancy. Um, it was not developed like it is now. Um, you know, our cars were getting broken into. There's no way we could leave, you know, the brewery doors open to ventilate without having some kind of security gate. Um, it was a much different area than it is now with the success of Nulu and the uh, revitalization of the area. Okay, yeah, and uh, you you've been there a long time, and you've you've witnessed a lot of Louisville's development, and, and not really just just in the beer world, but as you kind of just said in in general with vagrancy in that specific downtown area. What exactly do you do you attribute to the to the rise of downtown Louisville, exactly? 
you know, we, uh, we, I guess the government made a lot of good moves with, you know, with 4th Street Live and bringing in convention, which, you know, made the government focus on downtown and making it safe. Uh, once you made it safe, other businesses started up here and, you know, the guys, the families from the East End actually would come downtown uh, to visit places and I think it's, you know, the Young Center and then Whiskey Row and all that, just everything that, you know, it's really based upon how, how well our government has managed the city. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and it is so nice now. I've never even really gave it a second thought, you know, walking from a place like Goodwood or, you know, that Clay Street area down to, um, down to the Yum Center. It's a very, you know, fairly easy walk. I mean, it's a long walk, but I never really feel unsafe at all. Um, but speaking of, you know, kind of like, you know, local government and everything, um, you recently said in, in an interview with Louisville Business First that uh, you believe that the craft beer is kind of the, the government's golden child. Can you can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, especially with our, our, our Kentucky legislative branches, uh, the House and the Senate, um, we've gotten to know them real well and had successes in the past four years uh, trying to better than means of making us more successful and modernizing a ton of laws um, and making sure that we have the same advantages of other breweries that might be outside of Kentucky and, you know, the big, they call it the AD bill, but it was really about just making sure we have a level playing ground. But I think they're really open to us because, you know, we're, we're local guys hiring local people using as much local ingredients that we can. You know, we're a highly taxed industry. Uh, so we're, the, the more we sell, the more demand's making. Uh, so the, and job creation is terrific with us. Generally, for every thousand barrels a brewery makes, we're hiring a person. So if you look at the big breweries, you know, for every 10,000 barrels they brew, Sometimes even upwards to twenty thousand barrels, they're higher than one person. Huh. So we're really, we're really a uh, employee-driven uh, business. It takes a lot of us to, to to make this beer and a lot of hard work. So all of that adds up to a lot of gener- money generation for the state. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, well, cl- clearly craft beer is on the rise. And besides, like, the, the macro breweries that you kind of just talked about, is, is there anything happening right now that, that is hurting craft besides those macro breweries? Uh, well, um, you know, we always have some kind of complaints. Uh, we don't have everything we want. There are still a lot of rules that were written a long time ago that, uh, definitely could be modernized, um, but we take baby steps with those. Uh, we're happy with, definitely we're happy with what we've gotten and uh, how well our legislative branches have worked for us. Um, and, you know, you, you look at a state of being in a state like Kentucky, uh, you, when people think about Kentucky, you think about bourbon, you think about horses and pretty women. So, you know, we're a distant fourth, fifth, or sixth. <laughs> so we'd like to, we'd like to change that, uh, but the more successful and the better beer that we're producing in the state, 
you know, we'll, we'll continue to take, move up that, that thought process. Sure. The, as, as the industry grows and, and as a whole, could could the craft beer industry, like, would it get too big? Is, is there a bubble there? Or, or it, is the industry getting too big to even use the, the current definition of craft anymore? Will there ever be a point where that reaches? No, uh, I mean, when, when people look at all these breweries and you see these stats about, you know, there's more breweries in the United States than there was uh, at the beginning of Prohibition. And you know, a lot of these stats, but you've got to look at the population growth of America since then, too. Hmm. And, and the population growth has, has way outweighed the number of breweries that we've, we've developed into in the last, let's say, 12 years of a craft beer movement. Um, and then you look again at, there's two more factors. You look again at how many wineries that America can support. And the amount of wineries are almost quadruple the amount of breweries. Really? In America right now. So, obviously, uh, that industry is thriving and doing well. And there's a ton of wineries. And then the third is you got to look at what kind of breweries are opening up. How many of these blank or minus 15,000, 1,500, or whatever the, the number of breweries that are in planning to open within this year and next? These are little tiny, most of them, the majority of them are one, four, seven barrel systems. You right. know, they're neighborhood places. Um, so it doesn't take a lot to support a brewery, uh, a neighborhood or a, a nano brewery. They don't have a lot of fluids, you know. So they're not all production breweries making 30, 40, 60,000 barrels a year. But the majority of them are very small. Right, yeah, so, they're just... They're just small neighborhood bars, breweries, tap rooms, whatever that you know probably don't even bottle. They just have something on tap. Yeah, exactly. So if you look at, I mean, you, you take all those three factors and you put them together, this bubble's very far off. And then actually, I forgot a, another important factor is, you know, old guys like me, my generation drinks about fifteen percent of the craft, you know, craft beer, right, of the of my population, and then. Further down the line, the younger guys, those guys are upwards of 20 to 25 percent. And then you look at this huge group of millennials that are coming through and coming of age right now, over 50 percent of them drink craft beer. So as they come of age and these guys, and the millennials, they're all young. They don't don't have money yet. They don't have developed careers. And they're still drinking that much craft beer. So as they move along and become educated and get jobs and, and do all the things that just happen over time, you know, we've got a huge population that is, is supporting the hell out of craft. And that, I don't ever see that changing. So our bubble, while it's, it's growing and it's, it's impressive in the last 12 years, if you look, if you look to the future and who's going to be drinking, it looks very bright. Okay, that, that's a good point. I mean, I've never thought about that before. Uh, with the millennials coming in, and you know, like, like you said, it's not like they have a like they don't have a whole lot of money, but at the same time, they're they're spending their dollars um, intelligently. Um, they're you know maybe spending more per six pack, but at the same time, maybe they feel like they're getting more out of it. Yeah, I, I just think it's, it's it's what they grew up with. Uh, you know, it's not 
you know, local bakeries and local coffee and these, and you, I didn't see that when I was growing up, you know, it was the Applebee's and whatever of the world, you know. So these guys have come up with local places that, you know, at the end of the day are making a better product. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, now you you are you are a big part of the Kentucky Brewers Guild. Um, what 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 exactly are what are those meetings like exactly that you have, and, and how many members are in the guild? Uh, right now, we have plus or minus twenty members um, in the guild, and uh, we you know we're still kind of a fledgling guild, meaning uh, we were uh, forced together as a as a community and as a voice um, by what going on five years ago now um, because the Kentucky ABC started interpreting a rule differently that was going to jeopardize our tap rooms and if you if you look at who we are and how important our tap rooms are to us not only because they're very very important money generating uh, avenue for us uh, distributing beer is not large margin, so to subsidize that, our tap rooms really help. Hmm. Uh, but they're also really a way for us to grow our brands and, and reach out to the community uh, by having the community come in and, and experience who we are and drink our beers. <clears throat> so we, um, we as a community, we we had to band together, and we were very young, uh, very naive, which we, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, we still are. <laughs> Uh, but a few of us got together and acted quickly and had success with changing Kentucky law to ensure that um, we would continue on. Um, with the help of the VA, uh, they came in and really helped us concrete our bylaws and make us a legit entity uh, with rules and regulations and laws and um, how we vote and everything like that. And, um, and then to tell you the truth, with all the success that we've had, uh, the VA and nationally with other guilds, people look at the Kentucky Guild of Brewers and hold us on a whole different level. Huh. Uh, they use us for examples and you know ask for our help of how we got here so quickly. And we've only done this is because our guild membership is bright vibrant and work their asses off outside of, you know, putting in 60 hours brewing beer. Right, right. Interesting. I, yeah, I didn't know that. That, that. That's that's good to be a, a shining be, uh, beacon of an example. That, that's great. Um, now, I, I know you're pretty busy driving. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I have a couple more questions for you. Um, if you. If you could swap place, just kind of picture this for a second. If you could swap places with any other brewery, and you know whoever happens to run the brewery for a month, where and, and who would you choose? And, and keep in mind that they're now in charge of Goodwood for a month. Oh man, I mean that's a loaded question. There's, there's you know, would I want to go to a Sierra Nevada and experience what you know big boys do and how they they manage uh, and how they do their marketing and Learn, I mean, the, the things I could learn in a month working with a Sierra Nevada, mm-hmm. you know, it would take me probably another 10 years to learn on my own uh, through through successes and messes and then 
screw things up. So, you know, that would be one avenue to look at. Or you look at, you know, really progressive guys like Wicked Weed and, you know, all that they're doing and all the wacky towers and their edgy look to them. And, you know, they're, 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 they're cool kids and they definitely have a cool kid uh, feeling to them. Because we, we have good ones. We're fairly conservative dudes. You look at our packaging, you look at what we do with our beers. Um, you know, we're, we're conservative of all, you know, you got the cool kids, ATG, against the grain, uh, that are edgy and funny, and they, their packaging is, you know, off the wall. And Brown and you note. Got us, it's more conservative and straightforward and, you know, uh, old school type guys. So could, what can I learn from guys like against the grain or, or you know, Wicked weed and guys that are pressing envelopes and really looking to do things. You know, while we press the wood envelope, but we're going to do great things with tequila barrels and rum barrels and do things that people aren't. Um, you know, there's still, there's still a, you know, an element that we're not, and uh, uh, not that that's a bad thing. It just is what it is. So, you know, there's a lot of ways that I could look at that, and I know I'm not answering the question exactly. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, it, it's but, a, it's okay. That would be a difficult thing to choose. What do I want to learn? Yeah, yeah, it, it's a big question, but it's a big question for a reason. So you you, you handled it pretty well, uh, and and you kind of just said a little bit that you were you're a conservative brewery, uh, as Goodwood. Is there any kind of style of beer out there that kind of makes you just kind of cock your head and, and ask why? Like, why why are they doing that? I don't understand the appeal. I mean, what what style just doesn't appeal to you the most? I mean, on a personal just personal. Yeah. Um, I don't understand black IPAs at all. Um, you know, it, it, there's not a lot of history with the style. It's not real hard to put roast, dark roasted malt into a mash and then in the boil add a lot of hops like you would for an IPA, and it's magic, you know. That, <laughs> when black IPAs gained all of that popularity and people were really, really into them, I <laughs> they spoke so highly of them. It just kind of, it just, it, some reason, something inside me, it just bugged the hell out of me. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that would be, that would be the only one, really. The, the fascination with IPAs is uh, something to be marveled at today. Um, you would think that bubble would burst, but, you know, it's become such a popular thing. It's a call brand. Yeah. You know, you got the kids walking up to the bar and they're asking, what IPAs do you have? You know, you don't get that with brown ale or ambers or whatever you're talking about. But IPA is such a monster. It's incredible. And, you know, people, every year you hear how IPAs are going to fizzle away and they become more and more of the craft beer market and the sales margin in it. So. If you were if you were um, if you were opening up a new brewery today, would an IPA be your flagship? No, it's it's not our flagship currently because. Um, yeah, I know, I know, I, I know, but I'm just saying that because it's so popular. Like, if you could do it all over again, and you were you were fresh off the off the the brewing streets, and uh, you you were trying to think of different styles that that would be that would be um, good for the population, would you start off with an IPA? I wouldn't, um, because every city, IPAs are going to resonate regionally, but they're never going to resonate outside of that, because 
every brewery in every city, they have their captured audience of the the greatest IPA locally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, Sierra Nevada, I, you never, I don't think you're going to see IPAs resonate like Sierra Nevada did at one point, because there's so many out, out there. So, you know, if you're Cincinnati, you're drinking one or two breweries that are producing awesome IPAs around you. If you're in Indianapolis or Louisville or Nashville, you know, um, it's really hard to get that brand to resonate into markets outside your own. So, I mean, it would be, I, I, I guarantee you there's lots of breweries with that, that business plan, but it, it's a difficult business plan. Okay, yeah, that, that's that's exactly what I was trying to get at. It's a popular style, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a popular business choice. So that, that makes sense. Um, one, one, last th- one last question for you. Um, UK or U of L? Oh, U of L all the way. Oh, uh, I, thought you were, I thought you were cooler than that. Okay. <laughs> no, I am not cooler than that, brother. <laughs> all right. Hey, is there anything going on at Goodwood? Any kind of events, plans, or anything that you'd like us to know about coming up? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've, we're always trying to do some fun things. Uh, we just did a big MS fundraiser that I would have loved to talk about. But uh, offhand, um, you know, we're, we're just doing business as normal. Um, Saturdays are really cool days because we've got a, you know, a bluegrass jam, which, you know, national act, national guys to the beginner come and just sit around and play bluegrass music. It's a real... Uh, a really cool thing that's just organically grown from two guys wanting to play to now we'll have as many as 15 to 20 guys and gals sitting around playing all sorts of different instruments so Saturday's are really cool so if you, if you haven't experienced it come on and have a beer and listen to some cool bluegrass yeah absolutely what what are your what are your hours during the week uh Tuesday Wednesday uh we're open from 4 to 10 Thursday, Friday, 10 to 11, I mean, 4 to 11, and Saturday, 1 to 10. Okay, awesome. Phil, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's always good to learn more about local breweries. Hey, I appreciate you. Thank you. Through the hard times and the good, I have to celebrate you, baby. I have to praise you. Thank you.